Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, just expound on the goodness of God, the preeminence of Christ, and how great he is. Let's focus on a couple verses here at the beginning in verse 21 to 23, chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Going to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We learn these things about our call to live our life in Christ, our li- to live our life in light of our walk with Christ. We find ourselves in our main passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 this morning. It says, If then, or if you want to go to King James, therefore you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, bless the time and your word this morning. I pray that you be with our pastor as he is sick. Be with those who are not able to be here. Help them to be encouraged by your word. Help them to be in your word today. Help us to be faithful to visit them if they are not able. Help us to be in your word and be transformed today by the reading of it and by the understanding of its truth. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Go ahead and hop in your time machine and go back with me to 2014 and pretend that you are NFL legend Peyton Manning. For the first few weeks of the year, the wind is chilly and it's cold and you're preparing for a Super Bowl. And even though for the past seven months you've been putting your body through hit after hit, tackle after tackle, workout after workout, you are the legendary Hall of Famer Peyton Manning, and your legacy is in the balance. If you win this game, your career is one of redemption, overcoming injuries, slumps. But if you lose, many will doubt your greatness at the game that you love so much. The first quarter begins and the roar of the crowd cheers you on and is crawling up your spine as the tension of the importance of this game sinks in. And after your best efforts, you fall to a devastating loss of 8-43 to to the Seahawks. For Peyton Manning, his hopes, his dreams for this game fell short. His desire was to win the game. His desire was to put together a game plan that would be uncompromisable and the riches that were promised were not given. But I promise you this, if you place your hope, if you place your confidence, not in a game, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, in your Savior, if you place your affection, your attention, your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be disappointed. You will not go walk away the loser, but the victor in Christ. As we come to our text this morning, we find a position of looking to Christ, of a position that is pointed upward, not downward. 
It's pointing away from the things of the past and pointing towards the things of the future. And it is one of perspective. It is a letter from Paul, written to the church at Colossae. And it is written while Paul is in prison. You will not find mention of Paul asking for help, of Paul asking for a care package or for them to come deliver him from prison, but you will find Paul concerned for the church in Colossae. Not his physical needs, not what he needs right now, but what the church needs to grow in Christ. And that is the background. That, that, is, that is how Paul is writing this. And just think about the, the care and consideration that Paul has to not burden them with his own needs, but to pursue Christ instead. The believers at Colossae also had been swayed with a false doctrine. They'd went away from the supremacy of Christ in the meaning of salvation and living. Even just in the immediate context, we go back to the previous passage. Look at the end of chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to the festivals or new moons or a Sabbath. These, fashion, these shadows, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on the asceticism and worship of angels, going, in, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason by the sensual mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments. Grow with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to these things and all to, that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in self-promoting, self-made right religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." This false teaching, this false doctrine that had been spreading would be one of the, the importance of Jewish festivals, of moons and Sabbaths, going back to the old and going away from the liberty that is found in Christ. And as these Jews who are in the church, no doubt, they, they feel they have to hold on to these, these traditions to gain favor with Christ, but the gospel is not about gaining favor with Christ. It is about knowing your position in Christ knowing that there's nothing I can do to make God love me any more or any less. It is to live for God out of a new motivation. It is to live for God out of love for God. Today, the big idea is that God wants you to have a heavenly focus. And the question here we're going to ask is, why? And Paul answers this question, why does God want you to have a heavenly focus? We're going to see reasons why God wants you to have this focus. The first is verses 1 and 2, that is the believer's treasured identity. The believer's treasured identity. If then, therefore, all these things are true about the false teaching, about who you are in Christ, about our command to live for Christ, if you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. The Colossian believers are to have a new instilled identity in Christ. 
And this is not the first time, even in this letter, that Paul has spoken these words. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, he says, you are saints. Also in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, you are faithful brothers in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 12, you are beneficiaries of the inheritance of the saints. Chapter 1, verse 14, you are redeemed people. Verse 22 of chapter 1, you are in his body. Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, you had a firm faith in Jesus Christ. You had a firm faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6, you are recipients of Christ Jesus. All these things have happened to them. Not that they have accomplished these things, but they are now these things because of what God has done for them. And this is their... The, the truth that Paul has infused in this letter and, and reminded them of this, this truth, and now he wants to bring them to a natural response, and that is to seek and to set. First, to seek. To seek is to endeavor, to inquire, to worship. This is the same word Luke, in, used in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the woman who's lost her coin. Also in that same chapter, the man who's lost his son. This woman who loses these ten coins of silver, she lights a candle, she sweeps the house, she diligently seeks out to find this coin, and she will not stop until she finds the coin. She seeks it. It is of value to her. Luke chapter 12, verses 30, 22 to 34, says this, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, or what you will eat, or what you are, nor about your body, or what you will put on it. For life is more than food, and body more than clothing. Consider the raven. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not being able to do a small thing as, they, as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. You, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor worried, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things that you're so concerned about will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no, for, nor moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are you pursuing today? What do you seek after today? What do you really care about today? Not just what do you say, but what do you live with your actions? Paul talks about the, where the focus ought to be in verse 1. He says, seek the things which are above. And then he says, where Christ is seated. So where is Christ seated? He is seated at a place of authority. He has gone up into heaven. He sits he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. This is where angels and authorities and powers are subject to him. This is holy dominion for all of eternity. This is where we are to seek. 
We understand the comparison of the holy dominion of Jesus Christ sitting next to his Father and the, the eternality and the, the, the purity involved in that and the holiness of God and all the character of God intertwined in these divine truths compared with us today in Altoona, Iowa, in our jobs, in our daily lifestyles, in everything that we do. Understand the eternal weight of glory and how much greater it is compared to the little things. We ought to be pursuing the things that count, things that matter, things that are worth their weight in gold. He also says to set your minds, this, I love this picture, is to set your affection, your attention. This is a very practical way of saying, what are you doing with your time, your money, with your attention, everything you do, what are you setting your affection on? It's as if you, you can only pick one thing. You have two things in front of you. You only have time to do one thing. Which one are you going to do? You have to set your affection on one thing. As many people today would say you can multitask, the truth is you cannot. In reality, you only set your affection on very few things. And what you set your affections on are determined by how you live your life. So how do I live my life? What do I allow to take up the space in my mind? What do I think about? The answer to these questions are hard answers. Answers you can only think about sometimes in private. Sometimes you don't want to tell people because they're so private. But the reality is that our affections are placed on something all the time. All the time. We have seen what Paul's commanding us to do. We are to set our affections, set our attention on these things of eternal value. So how do I set my mind on these things? How do I set my affection on these things? Well, I think it begins with agreeing with God on what's most important, getting our mind right at the beginning. So from Scripture here, what does God concern himself with? Well, it is not comfort. Luke chapter 9, verse 58 says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He sacrificed comfort for his ministry. He sacrificed rest for ministry. God has placed preeminence on the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God from Matthew chapter 6. God is concerned about men being devoted to him. Matthew 19, 27, Behold, we have left everything to follow you. Every single thing. Think of the disciples in the early parts of the Gospels who have left everything. They've left their nets. They've left their livelihood. They've left everything they know. In fact, Jesus says you need to hate your, your father and your mother and your brother and sister in order to follow me. Not an ungodly hate, but a hate that is... That means to love God so much more in comparison that you're willing to follow him. The point is this. To seek things of eternal value is to be a servant of all with no regard for personal gain, but all regard for the eternal destiny of souls. It means I reprioritize how I have my conversation. Maybe it means things that I've been talking about I realize I shouldn't spend so much time on this. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? 
When was the last time you opened God's word and said, this is what God did for me when he changed my life and made me a child of God, and he can do the same for you? And when was the last time someone saw that look in your eye that was so convincing to them, they believed you were genuine? It's easy to be caught up in the day-to-day, but we have to understand that the day-to-day is not always as important as what God is calling us to do. What we're doing here is based on identity. We're doing this because we are in Christ. On the morning of September 11, 2001, all Americans watched as the Twin Towers fell. In the response to 9-11, many people volunteered and they signed up for the military. Many of those people, those men and women, had parents in Vietnam or Desert Storm or grandparents in World War II, Korea. And they did so because they had a connection to their country. They had a bond to the name United States of America and what it stood for. And they had a connection to and a love for their country. Their identity as an American citizen pushed them and projected them towards sacrifice, towards willingness to devote themselves. As a child of God, as as a man, as a woman of God, you are called live for Christ today because of your love for Christ because of what he has done for you because of the works of Jesus Christ the souls of those who trust in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior are raised to new life in Christ it's a powerful truth it stimulates gratitude thankfulness and ought to compel the believer to forget the vain pursuits of the world and endeavor to be rich in the things of God This pursuit should begin by setting aside any earthly things that distract us. These things could be social media, could be Facebook, could be relationships, could be athleticism, could be homework, could be good grades, could be your job, could be financial independence, it could be being in service at church. It could be even trying to be good to look good. Putting aside the pursuits that do not matter. Getting rid of distractions. Deleting your social media. Making God the center of every relationship that you have. Prioritizing your athletics. Prioritizing your activities throughout the week. Don't let your job get in the way of your spiritual walk. Don't let working overtime stop you from serving. Don't let working overtime stop you from being an active part of the church. Reevaluate how you spend your time and money, what you think about, what you talk about. Take stock of your life. Are you the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God, the employee of God that you ought to be? That's a sobering question because I believe that if we're honest, all of us would say that we are not. And I think that the reality of that is It's stunning in the fact that we all have areas we need to grow in. We need each other to help us grow in those areas. Because we might see a brother or sister in Christ where we see, man, that is a powerful example of prayer right there. Or that's a powerful example of faithfulness. Or that man of God really knows how to exposit the word or just to lead Bible studies or just to have genuine conversations with other, other believers. And you look at that and you grow in that area and you say, thank you, brother, thank you, sister, for this because I grew because of your example. And maybe you find someone 
and you say, I want you to disciple me. Maybe you find someone and say, I want to disciple you. I want to be in, in God's word with you and do life with you and ministry with you. And all those things happen because they, they, they flow out of a life that is root, firmly rooted in your treasured identity in Christ. It should motivate us to set aside the things that do not propel us towards Christ and move towards our identity in Christ. Next we see in verses 3 and 4 our redeemed position. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, our redeemed position. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Todd spoke earlier of, a, of our position in Christ and what Christ has done for us and now who we are in Christ. And now we speak of our redeemed position in Christ. He says very specifically a few things. He says that you have died. It's a picture of baptism as we will see. Colossians 2.12 says, You have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of our God, who raised him from the dead. This means you are a child of God. You have died to your sin. You are a brother, a beneficiary of grace, a church member, a recipient of Christ Jesus. You have been buried with him in baptism. This reminds me of one of my favorite verses, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Christian, you see, brother in Christ, your identity is found in Christ because you have died with him, with your sin, and now he is your Savior. You are identified as a child of God the person and work of Jesus Christ. You have died and now your life is hidden with Christ. It is hidden, it is secured, it is stable, it is on the rock. John 10, 27 to 30 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, that's personal, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You will never run outside the reach of your Father. You'll never out the grace of God because he is so much greater. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. He canceled the debt. Has that ever happened to you? Has someone ever canceled a debt? It's a liberating feeling. It's a feeling of joy. It's a feeling of freedom. Jesus Christ canceled the debt that was separating you between him and his father. Continues in that verse. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Christ satisfied the righteous demands of his Father. The third reason you have a redeemed position is that you will appear with Christ in glory. Think to the first 
uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 passage that speaks of the rapture, speaks of the hope of being with Christ after death. How does the, the, the hope of life after death affect your life? How does this affect your perspective on Christ? It means that my eternal destiny is established. It means it is assured. It means that just as I am sure I am alive today in Christ, I will be alive in Christ that day. And I'll be glorified just as I am called today. You may ask, I have, been, I have this treasured identity and redeemed position, but what does this hope look like? What does it look like to live in this hope? How do I actually do this? It means you have a right perspective on life. Not just on the easy things, but on the difficult things, on trials. We understand that patience is a part of life and going through trials is a part of life and that we learn and grow who we are in Christ as a part of our trials. It means we simply daily trust God for our needs. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It means that God's not done with you yet. It means God still wants to use you. He wants to challenge you and change you. And some may be sitting here thinking, this all, this all sounds really good. It sounds really great, but I don't feel this hope. I don't feel this joy. And my answer to that is, get your eyes on your heavenly home. When we meditate on the things of the world, we are tempted to be disappointed. We are tempted to think that God is not good enough. Because we look at our situations and we think, why would God allow this to happen? Or the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? And we forget that it's a bigger picture than that. We're looking at one piece of the puzzle. And God is working all things for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That maybe God is using that difficult time in your life to change you, to show you humility, to show you his love, to show you the tender care that the flock of God can provide, to show you the compassion of Jesus. To show you the side of Jesus you don't get from a 10-minute challenge at a youth event. To show you that the 10-year challenge of going through life without being able to give a, have a child. Or maybe going through a terrible divorce that is not anything that you can do anything about. Maybe something has happened to you. Maybe it's something that you have lost. Maybe you've lost a child. And all these situations of life that are seemingly uncomprehendable, God knows and God cares. So you may, you may be asking, why don't I feel this hope? And I would ask, are you looking for it? I would ask, are you looking for someone to show you where the hope of the gospel is? Because the hope of the gospel is not in life working out how we think it should. The hope of the gospel is that God has never changed, never will change, and his promises are eternal. And that what we have right now is a vapor. What we have right now is temporary. We have for eternity is worth far more. True hope, true genuine hope can be found in knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and walking with him and walking with brothers and sisters in Christ through those difficulties.
And that hope is there. It is there. An Olympic runner is identified by the country that he runs for. And prior to the Olympic Games, a country that sends this Olympic athlete pours into him by granting him access to state-of-the-art training facilities, time to prepare both mentally and physically. They allow him to remain focused in training to prepare for the Olympics. Why would a country invest so much in an athlete? Why would they do this? Because every four years that athlete represents the sending country on a global stage. The performance that he gives is a reflection of the nation from which he is sent. And in preparation for the Olympic Games, an athlete's likely to go through a special diet and cut out large portions of his free time in order to train. He is disciplined and focused. He has one goal. He is honoring his country by performing his best. So why devote so much to this cause? Why, do, why give up so much for the cause of the Olympic Games? And why give up so much for the cause of Christ? Because we are tied to our identity in Christ. And our identity in Christ grounds us to an eternal destiny that is filled with glory, glorifying the only one who is worthy of our praise. So this morning, as we look at this passage, as we think about where are we setting our attention, our focus, our gaze, we need to think through who we're representing when we go into our workplaces. Who we represent when we go into the grocery store. Who we represent when we go into our homes and our family devotions. Who we represent when we live our daily lives. God wants us to have this eternal focus. And I'm going to let Paul handle the application here as he, he gives us another therefore to look at. Look at verses 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In light of all these things that we've learned about where who we are in Christ, about who these false teachers are, about how, where we ought to be seeking, our, where we set our, our affections, in light of all this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives you a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self within its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the same image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It's very simple today. If we are to pursue Christ, we have to put off the old man. We have to purposefully set ourselves apart from the world by saying no to temptation, by saying no to the desires of the flesh. That means the simple things, the little things like pride, the simple things, the, the little things like, do I really care about my coworker enough to just steer the conversation towards the gospel. The simple little things like, am I going to give up a spot for this person maybe in the parking lot so I might have the opportunity to talk to them? Am I going to respond in traffic politely or am I going to verbalize something I shouldn't verbalize? Or am I going to be angry in my heart? It's the little things, but it's also the big things. It's where you pattern your life after. 
It's the big goals of your life. It's when you think of a 5, 10, 15 year plan, where do you want to be in 15 years? You think through what God would have you do, not what you think you might want to do. What would God like to do with my life with the next 10, 15 years? Not what do I want to do? You think through what in your life is holding you back from living for Christ and understand that nothing is worth living like the world when you can live for Christ. As we're learning in Hebrews, our Savior is so much more deserving, is so much better than any other thing we can pursue, than we can chase after. God wants you to have a heavenly focus, and it starts with our treasured identity in Christ and our redeemed position that God has granted to us. So let us today take hold of this identity, grasp this identity, become the children of God that God has called us to be, and live for Christ today. In light of that truth, today we'll be singing All I Have is Christ as our closing song.